if we don't metabolize our experience from the past, we cannot hold space for what is coming in the future. The more you feel your way through, the more you manifest. Letting go doesn't mean you're moving on, but it does mean that you have to move forward at some point. From To Be Magnetic, this is The Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. And your host, Jessica Gill. As the leading destination for neural manifestation, we dispel the woo-woo in order to help you create real, tangible results based on neuroplasticity, psychology, epigenetics, and energetics. Our goal is to normalize the practice of manifestation and empower you to get into the driver's seat of your life in order to manifest the experiences, relationships, and things that most align with your authenticity. And by pressing play, the process begins. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Expanded. Jessica here. So we are in week five of the Manifestation Challenge, moving into week six, which is the final week of the challenge. And for anyone asking, do not worry. It is not too late to join. We're going to keep the challenge open into the new year. So even if you start on January 1, you will have plenty of time to complete the challenge. And you can even gift the membership to someone you love or to yourself this holiday season with our sale that's going on right now where you can lock in the absolute lowest rates of the year. The sale will end on December 31st at midnight PST. So be sure to get in before the rates go back up to regular price. But week five is all about taking aligned action. And aligned action is how we take those little baby steps or sometimes jumping off cliffs, major steps towards our manifestations. It's how we step through fear. It's how we reinforce a new neural pathway of high self-worth, which you now have completely primed from doing the unblocking week. So what we're going to dive in today is going to kind of set us up for week six of the challenge. It is a highly requested topic and theme, and it is all around this letting go process and grief. Now, grief comes in many different shapes and forms. You can be grieving a variety of different things, not just the loss of a loved one or loss of life, but also loss of a dream, a hope, a chapter in time, a situation or dynamic that is just not what you wished it could be. How someone's showing up, really grieving that they're giving their best and maybe you have to set a boundary and step away. There is an element between the aligned action and the letting go phase where we decide to accept what is and clear out what isn't aligned anymore. And that process of clearing out allows us to welcome something new in. It allows us to metabolize the experiences that we've had in the past. So we are primed and ready. So it's not weighing us down. We're not held back by old versions of self or old beliefs. We're fully stepping into this new reality while also honoring what we've gone through in the past. And we can't do that without feeling our emotions. And I don't know about you guys, but this time of year specifically, I have been feeling very inward 
and wanting to be reflective and just nurture myself. That is what my body's been craving. My soul has been craving. I'm like, I can't wait to put my vacation email responder on so I can just be in my own energy and feel all the things that have come up over this year. It's so important to carve out space to do so. And that is why we created the new DI, the letting go DI, which will really help you sit and process with whatever it is you may be letting go. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. We have Dr. Tara Swart on again, which is a huge fan favorite here. And I feel like this is an episode I'm going to come back to time and time again when I find myself in different chapters of this complex emotion of grief. Before we jump in, I want to share one testimonial story to keep you guys motivated and feeling expanded for this challenge. So here goes. Hey TBM, I have been a Pathway member since 2020 and this work has changed my life. It has saved my life. It is absolutely incredible and I swear by it. Since I began, I manifested so many things from my dream apartment without roommates in New York City to walking a red carpet and acting opposite A-listers and getting into the union as a New York City actress. In recent times, I manifested a bridge job working for two of my biggest expanders who I've been following for years. With this challenge, one of the things I wanted to manifest was a voiceover agent. This manifestation has already come through. I have been taking aligned actions. I was always submitting for representation and just not hearing anything back. Well, as it turned out, I wasn't expanded enough and I needed to do some more unblocking. I did so much unblocking in the past few weeks on being worthy of taking up space and knowing that my needs matter. And then I continued to do the aligned action, asked some hard questions, and expanded. I didn't have enough expanders of actors with voiceover agents or actors who were making a living doing voiceover. And as I started to hone in on finding those expanders, the universe started to send me more. I got super expanded and then the agent came through. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what's next. absolutely love this manifestation story because it really highlights that you can take aligned action until you're blue in the face. But if you are not on blocking the subconscious beliefs beneath it, that aligned action may fall flat. So if you find yourself during the aligned action week, you're taking this action and you're not really seeing any momentum, start to look at your blocks. Do you have fear, unworthiness around what you're calling in? And then do you have expanders? I love how she said once she opened the door to the expanders, so many more started coming through. That is an experience I've had with expanders where once I can open my mind and see expanders are the universe showing me that it is possible. Look how many little and big ways the universe is showing me it's possible for me. It's almost like a flood of them comes through. So keep expanding, keep unblocking, keep taking aligned action. You got this and we can't wait to hear your manifestation stories on the other side. And now a word from our partners. 
Not all probiotics are created equal. There are a million different products on the market promising to fix, rebalance, restore, reset your gut microbiome and gut barrier. But how many of them actually do? So many are not grounded in science, and that is why we are such fans of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. They are a two-in-one pre- and probiotic capsule that actually reaches the gut. They are the most science-backed probiotic on the market. Their team of experts, some of which who even coined the original term probiotic, are rigorous about their research, testing, and the quality assurance of their product. Probiotics are fragile and sensitive to heat, oxygen, light, moisture, which makes it really hard for them to fully get to the part of the digestive tract that they support the most. That's why Seed created the VitaCap. It's their proprietary capsule and capsule delivery system, which helps get 100% of the probiotic strains to the part of the digestive system that impacts it the most, which is why Seed is such an effective probiotic. And that is why I make sure to take my seed two capsules first thing in the morning with a cup of lemon water to start off my day. It has made such a difference in my digestive health, my gut barrier integrity, my gut immune function, and it's even had an incredible impact on my skin. So if you're looking for a probiotic that actually works, you can use the code TBM for 30% off your first month supply of seeds daily symbiotic. Again, that is code TBM for 30% off your first month's supply. You can check out the link in the show notes or go to seed.com backslash TBM. All right, on to the episode. I'm so excited to be sitting here with, I know you guys can't all see us, but we are all in cream colored <laughs> Turtleneck sweaters with Dr. Tara Swart and Lacey Phillips. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> so we're kicking off a big one today. And I've noticed this theme, we've noticed this theme with the community throughout this year, a lot of change. And I think one of the elements and, and dynamics when you face change is needing to sort of let go or accept something. Whatever was in the past, whatever we're changing and morphing into, the older version of that, whether it's an older version of self, it's an old identity, it's an old career, it's an old home, it's an old relationship, we're letting that go and having to move into the new. And with that comes really a letting go process and a grief process. And so this is a topic that's been highly requested. So we are digging into all of the ways to examine this letting go piece. Lacey and Dr. Taro, how do you see the letting go process, this transition process of needing to sort of prune in order to rebirth something new on the other side through the lens of neuroscience psychology and even your own philosophy and then Lacey through manifestation? I've experienced grief in different different spectrums, obviously, based on the ones you just mentioned. But just from your studies, we haven't ever really approached deeper grief as well. And I imagine that there are levels to it, but I imagine they all share a lot in common. So I like it would be fun to actually hear from you just breaking down grief a little bit. So people even understand we hear that word thrown around and not all of us really know if we're experiencing it or what it is. And I'm like, I want to hear what Dr. Tara has to say about grief <laughs> in general. <laughs> so I think it's a really important topic. And I'm glad we're broaching it because I, I agree with you. There's a lot of demand for it at the moment. Often when you're in the depths of it, you don't really consciously understand what you're experiencing. 
it is an inevitability of life that at some point, you know, various points in your life, you will lose something that you didn't want to lose and struggle with that and, you know, maybe learn from it. So I really love what Jessica said about pruning to, to rebirth. I actually use a similar phrase, which is contracting to expand. So the letting go process is, it does require a lot of internal work. It's one of those things you can't avoid. So you have to go to the depths of it. And I don't mean by that you have to feel bad, but you have to experience all of the emotions if you are to truly heal. One interesting point is that our physical and emotional pain thresholds are related. So if you've got a high physical pain threshold, then your mental resilience will tend to be higher as well. So this is the reason that people who get prescribed painkillers for a, you know, an actual a physical injury or recovery can get addicted to them if they're also in emotional pain because it's, it feels so much better. I guess what I want to pose back to you, Lacey, is I'd love your view on what does not letting go achieve for people? Ooh, in manifestation, and I feel like we talk about this so much because a lot of common manifestation teachings out there encourage you not to feel all the way. You know, the ones that I practiced before this, a lot of it is stay in the positive. Negativity attracts more negativity. And so I know a lot of people who come to this work or to manifestation, feeling can be scary. You know, it can be like, oh, is, is more of this going to come? Or are more of these experiences where I lose things that I don't want to lose going to happen to me? The one thing I can absolutely say so confidently that the more you feel your way through, which is truly the only way through, the more you manifest. It, it really is just the case. So I want to think of people and clients I've had in the past who their mind and their heart and their body were protecting them so much from feeling, you know, because there are spectrums of the pain and grief, especially trauma-based, which we could all argue all of it's trauma-based. The topic that is interesting me is when I would see people, and of course, the teaching we've been having recently that we've been talking about on tour, finishing our last stop this last weekend, when you have what's called a, a blind spot, where you literally can't access or dig in there. Uh, you can't even see it because your mind and your body and your heart are protecting you so deeply. That's something I've been really interested in lately because those can be the bigger manifestations that we're just not accessing. You know, it's like we're doing all of the work, we're doing all the things. And of course, things are coming through and we're manifesting. But like, I've been single for six years and the thing isn't coming. Or I, I'm great at supporting other people, but entrepreneurially, I can't actually really manifest my own career. So it's like, I'm so curious to have that conversation, especially while we're in the thick of this challenge and going into the unblocking week soon. It's like talking about that connection when people can't even access that grief, when they can't even go through the entire wave of letting go, First, can you tell us, Dr. Tara, what are the emotions we go through? Because you have to feel one to feel the other to go to the other. I think that's going to educate a lot of people here, like myself, who was extremely afraid of feeling my feelings. Then we can talk about the safety of it. And then we can talk about the blind spots. And one, one thing I just want to highlight for people right before we dive in is just like what this grief coming up could be about. So I had a quick checklist just so people can start to be like, oh, right, I might have grief around this. Yes, yes. So moving, entering a new phase of life, like when you go from high school to college or when you're dating to marriage or from 40s to 50s, daughter to being a mother, 
any new big transition phase, becoming a new version of self in that, leaving a job or relationship, letting go of old beliefs, letting go of old identities, older versions of selves, habits, behaviors, lifestyle, a death, letting go of specific dreams or hopes, letting go of expectations of someone, needing to accept, like radically accept someone and accepting a certain dynamic for what it is. I think so many times, and that's where that blind spot comes in is like we have the rose colored glasses on and when we really get down and we're like, okay, this is what it is and it's not gonna change, what do I need to do to take care of myself? So just so people can start thinking about grief and this letting go process and really expand their understanding of how much of those phases we actually need to feel this process through. Thank you for that, Jessica, because I've had multiple points in my life where I've been like, oh, what I'm feeling right now, this must be grief. Like people don't even totally know how to name it. So I'm glad we're having this educational piece first before we dive into the nitty gritty. Yeah, and I agree. It's really important that you've mentioned those other examples of grief because the psychological model that is the sort of gold standard in this area was originally created for grief through death. But it is now actually called the change curve sometimes because it can be applied to so many of those different types of things that we don't necessarily recognize as grief. You know, you said going from being in a relationship to being married. Well, most people wouldn't think of that as grief, but you know, with all of those things you've said, like moving house, leaving college or whatever, that any change is a form of grief. And so in this model, which is called the Kubler-Ross model of grief or change, there are either five or seven stages, but the five stages are really important. And the first one is denial. So even if someone's died, it could be, I can't believe this has happened to me. I can't believe they're never going to come back. But obviously, if it's a relationship breakdown, then it could be, I can't believe this is over and I'm sure we can get back together. You know, so denial of the fact that it's actually ended. Once you've gone through that, and I say that in quote marks because you can go through these stages over and over again. And it can be for different reasons, or it can just be because you didn't fully process the denial in the first place. But once you've had a period of denial, the next stage is anger. So then it would be, you know, I'm angry that this has happened to me. I'm angry that my loved one died or that my partner left me, or, you know, I can't get my entrepreneurial career going when everybody else can. And then, so, so the anger, it's easier to be angry than sad. So as you start to process that, then there's an in-between period where you go through a process of bargaining, which is, if I do this, please, God, let them come back. Or if I, you know, I'll change my ways if I can have, you know, the relationship back that I wanted. So after going through those sort of more, I would call active or aggressive emotions, there does come the low point, which is the depression phase. And that one can last for a really long time because that's, that starts once you've accepted the reality that this person is gone forever or the relationship is over or my old self is, I'm never going to be the same again. With depression, like with general depression, there can be feelings of helplessness, hopelessness and worthlessness. So, you know, that can be really low. And that's where I think a lot of numbing behaviors can come in because nobody wants to feel like that. It's, it's very difficult. Even if you've been through various forms of grief before, if it's a different type, then you can still feel as low, even though you might say, well, it's not like I've never experienced this before and I kind of know how it goes. And then eventually, whether it's the passage of time, whether it's therapy, whether it's doing DIs, there comes a level of acceptance about what has happened and 
And that's where the letting go part actually becomes really important because then you have to move forward. And I really want to say to people that letting go doesn't mean you're moving on, you know, if you've lost a loved one, but it does mean that you have to move forward at some point. So many people are cycling through these phases. What phase do you think people maybe is most recognizable? I personally feel like the depression, like if I'm in the depression phase of grief, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm in grief. But I don't necessarily recognize anger, acceptance, bargaining. I don't recognize those phases as grief. I've blown past them at that point. I think that's very individual because because I would say that if I'm in the low phase, I lose insight. Whereas if I'm more actively, obviously angry about something or bargaining about something, then I kind of, I feel like I'm more aware about those. So I think it's going to be really different for different people. I think this is also such an interesting thing to consider when you are around or nurturing people in grief. Because I remember a dear friend of mine when she had two shocks happen at one time. Not only did she lose her father, who she loved and was the most amazing father to her, but a day or two before he passed, she recognized in the hospital that they were giving him a certain blood type. She knew her mom's blood type, she knew her blood type, and she said, oh, that's why he's dying. They're giving him, like, it makes me emotional. They're giving him the wrong blood type. And that's when the, her mom had to come clean that it's, it wasn't her father. Like, it makes me so oh, emotional. God. And I remember, I remember seeing her after. And everything coming out of her mouth was so much anger. Like, manifestation's not real. You know, and I, and I, could, I could hold that space. I could be yeah. like, oh, she's in these, these transitions of grief. But I don't think a lot of people are primed to hold that space when they haven't done the work themselves. You know, how do you recognize when somebody's in that in your life that you care about, or maybe you don't care about, but you want to be a good human being? You know, I think that's worth a little bit of conversation as well that lends a lot more humanity in this moment in time. Yeah, a couple of things I want to pick up on there. One is that shock actually comes before that. So if you, know, if you wanted to add in an extra phase, shock is actually the pre, pre-phase. Before denial. Before denial, yeah. And so I I would say two things to that, but please both chip in as well. One is, if you know that somebody has experienced a loss, then you need to be, you know, more on the lookout for those, those sorts of phases. But let's say somebody's experienced something and they haven't told you, but you notice uncharacteristic behavior. So you notice that they are more angry than usual, or it's obviously hard to notice if someone's in denial, unless you know what's happened to them. But absolutely, of course, if you notice that they're in much more low mood and feeling very hopeless, then just to kind of, like you've said, hold that space, ask the right open questions and see what they're willing to share. Yeah, I remember my cousin at one time as well. She, for her fiance, transitioned moving from New York to, I think about like healers in this community and people who are leading other people. And she had to move from New York to LA and as a cancer, it was really traumatic for her. She loved her life there. And I remember she, it was really early when I was working with clients, she was like, I want to sit down and I can't remember what she was manifesting, but anything I would suggest to her she couldn't be in reality about. And it's so interesting hearing these phases because she was in such denial of grief, of leaving. So it's, I think this is just really important for people to hear other people experiencing this, or of course yourself, because sometimes it's so hard to recognize when like I'm in denial, <laughs> like denial is a really hard thing to put your finger on. 
I was going to say, it's interesting too, because I think about, especially in this community, people who are like, oh, I keep repeating the same patterns over and over again. And it's like, they're going through this phase over and over again, without reaching that acceptance phase. I'll see, especially people who are dating the same, you know, toxic partner that they already decided they weren't going to go back to, but then they'll go into a well, they've changed a little bit. And this time we're going to do it this way. And then they deny that it's happening. And then, you know, something comes up again. And then they're angry because, oh, how could, you know, this time they were supposed to be different. How could they do that? A little bit of acceptance. And then they go right back into bargaining again. And so what are some ways that people can sort of get out of these loops? If you don't complete the acceptance phase, you have to go backwards. And so you've actually explained it almost as going backwards. Sometimes you just go back to the beginning and you start again, but a little bit of acceptance isn't acceptance. So that means that that phase wasn't completed. And probably what happened with this example is that the person was depressed to be single and thought, you know, the usual things that people say, there's no, there's no one out there. I'll never meet anyone again. And that's when you start the bargaining, which is maybe it would be okay if I went back to that person, even though I know the relationship wasn't good. And you would also have to be in denial for that to, you know, for you, you to actually action that. And, you know, the anger could either come because the person lets you down again, or the anger could come because you feel so frustrated that you put all those years into this relationship and then it didn't work out. So it can really chop and change. But, but the only reason that happens is if people don't fully go through the process of each of the stages. But then to be fair, other things can come up. So you know, just something else in life can happen that kind of sets you back. You know, and it's not a neat one process where you go through all those stages and then you finish acceptance and then you're fine. Obviously, there are all sorts of things that can trigger you. And, you know, I think journaling is a really good tool for recognizing your triggers and your numbing techniques and maybe where you are in those phases. And then talk a little bit about, I was reading on different types of grief, anticipatory. So it's like someone has been sick for a long time and you know that they're going to pass. So you have a little bit of time to process before shock loss. Like it's very sudden. It happened all of a sudden, ambiguous. There's no clear conclusion. It feels unresolved. Someone cuts you out of their life and doesn't talk to you again. And you don't know why. And you're kind of like, I can't reach out to them. I know they're still here, but I don't know what to do about this cumulative. So like multiple people are passing or multiple losses at a similar time, complicated. So challenging feelings around it, complex feelings over the loss, like an estranged parent passes, there's multiple feelings happening there, or even collective grief, the tragedies that are affecting people at large, like war, mass shootings, hate crimes, when it hits that collective level. How do these sort of different types impact the process? Or is it still the same cycle, the same process? Yeah, so so the process is very much the same. I guess there's levels of, of difficulty. So, and, you know, I hesitate to say that a, a loss that you can anticipate is any easier. But perhaps if you feel like you had time to say goodbye and all those sorts of things, and it's not like that opportunity was taken away from you. Cumulative loss, I would say, you know, we've all got a threshold where things just get too much to bear. So a, a lot of cumulative loss could definitely be of a higher intensity and difficulty. And maybe on the other side of the spectrum, the collective grief, at least it's shared and you're in community and you've got people who feel the same that you can talk to. I think one of the things about grief is that it can be very lonely because 
depending on you know exactly what it is that ha that's happened you may be the only person that's actually going through that process at that time you know in a divorce both parties are going through it but they're probably not really supporting each other so that's quite ironic because you're the only only other person that knows what you're really going through is the person that you're probably you know resentful of i wanted to pick up on something that you said before i forget about it with your friend saying you know manifestation doesn't work because she was experiencing grief scientifically but i'm going to use an analogy for this manifestation and letting go can actually be like opposite poles of of a concept so when i think of manifestation i think of a like to be magnetic i think of a magnet and somebody pours a load of iron filings onto the table and they immediately get attracted to the magnet and they stick to it when we're calling things in that's the process with letting go you have to expand your consciousness. You have to feel emotions you haven't felt before. You have to be open to a different future to what you imagined. So it's almost like you're the magnet and you want to send the iron filings out. So they like hover in a sort of circle around you and just grow your understanding of what you can experience emotionally that's going to allow you to evolve. And potentially, I think you mentioned people changing their perspective, but potentially, even understanding that there are things that you can do with your consciousness that you weren't aware of before. I mean, to me, that would be the most rewarding takeaway from a loss is that now I think differently about something or now I believe in things that I didn't believe in before. So a lot of people who are extremely skeptical of things like mediums or people who channel or psychics will turn to things like that in grief and loss and, you know, maybe find something wonderful there, you know, maybe even believe that they can expand their consciousness to communicate with lost loved ones. Or you think of someone that you haven't seen for it for a long time, and then they message you, or you pass them in the street or something, you know, it's kind of like an expanded version of that. And a question I have even getting now into the expansion of consciousness, how big of a role do you think faith and having a higher power such as the universe, God, deity, whomever, how important is it to go through this process with something like that? Yeah, so a moderate amount of faith is extremely helpful. Anything on either extreme, so no faith at all, or like, you know, very kind of extremist beliefs become less helpful. We know from research that was done on people in countries after the tsunami about 20 years ago, that the Buddhist countries like Sri Lanka actually like collectively did relatively better than a lot of other countries that were affected by the tsunami. So let's put it under the umbrella of spirituality, whether it's faith or universe can definitely be helpful. You know, I think a lot of people in their grief will turn to those things maybe for the first time in their life as well. Yeah, and I'm even thinking through like my biggest breakup ever, the one that was the most traumatic. <laughs> now looking back is so silly, but it it shifted almost everything in my life. It was, you know, it was such a threshold. And I would say that that's when I found a psychic addiction. I mm. <laughs> like that's when I was like heavily into all of the think positive manifestation. And I would say that most of it was in that bargaining phase. So it's really it's it is really interesting what you're saying, like both sides of the spectrum moderation is a key through that process. Yeah. And actually what you're, what you were doing at that time, which of course people will do when they're just like so desperately bereaved is you outsource your responsibility. Yeah. So you'll go to a psychic because they can tell you something that will make you feel better because you simply don't have the resources at that time to work through it yourself. So if a psychic just gets you through a few more months till you feel a bit stronger, I actually think that's okay. 
Same, same, same. As we're easing into the chillier months here in the Northern Hemisphere, one thing that typically would go completely neglected for me is my body skincare. And I would, you know, have pants on and sweatpants on and everything would be covered up. So why do I really need to care about my body skincare? But my legs would get so dry and my skin would get crackly and itchy, especially if I was over on the East Coast with those harsh winter winds. And the Osea skincare products have been my absolute saving grace when it comes to this. So here has been my go-to routine. First, I'll do a little dry brushing throughout the body to loosen all the lymph, get everything going. And then when I jump in the shower, I use the Andaria Cleansing Body Polish. So this is a microbiome-friendly, exfoliating, and mineral-rich body polish. It is the only exfoliator that I've ever used that actually works and slough off the dead skin without causing irritation or dryness afterwards. Then I'll follow up with our Andaria Algae Body Oil. You guys have heard me talk about this. It is the most moisture-rich skin barrier supporting oil that really helps to replenish your dry skin and give you that glow. And then for those spots that are just so hard to keep moisturized during those winter months, like your elbows or your hands or wrist, feet, kneecaps, any of those spots, I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter and just put a little coating on that to give it the extra support it needs. All of their products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and the best skin. So don't let your skincare go to the wayside just because it may be a different time of year and you're not used to giving that extra body glow. It is so, so worth it, and I promise getting into bed with that soft, comfy skin is one of the best feelings in the entire world. And they have all of my favorite products that I mentioned here in a gift box set where you can get a little taste of each one of these items. You can use the code TBM10 at checkout for 10% off your first order site-wide at oseamalibu.com. Again, that's O-S-E-A malibu.com and the code is TBM10 for 10% off. And you can also get an extra 10% off plus free shipping if you have your favorite products delivered on repeat with our subscribe and save program. So head to our show notes or oseamalibu.com and use the code TBM10. Let's talk about how one can feel safe through this process. I would say that one of the biggest hangups that I'm thinking back and clients I've known, friends I've known, me personally, that can prevent me from accomplishing all of those faces, feeling them all the way through, is maybe not feeling totally safe. If I don't have this again, I will die. Not not in reality, but that's mm-hmm. how bereaved one feels. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can talk about like what could be tools that could help somebody go through that entire process in order to move forward. It's interesting. I was I was talking with Janelle, licensed marriage and family therapist, who you guys heard on the podcast, and she was talking about how a lot of times in grief, attachment wounding comes up because there is a loss with another physical sense of self. And a lot of times grief activates us looking at our own humanity and the timeline of that and what it means that we're on this earth for a certain amount of time. Any loss can kind of activate that in us. And so having some sort of safe secure base and attachments around us can help ground us. So having that 
friend or that family member or that therapist or meditating and having like the safety eye or leaning on God, if you believe in God or whatever your religious beliefs are, having that other piece that's like, it's not just us, we're in isolation. And then, you know, we pass away on the earth and oh my gosh, that's horrible. We are in community, we are connected, there is someone safe that cares about me. And then you have that sense of connection again. So she was saying how that was like a very big pillar in kind of like curating your safe community that you have those secure attachments with you. Yeah, and I that's what I was hoping we would dive into a bit. Because I want to say that when I was going through that huge breakup, which I look back was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, because attachment styles came up, like, it opened all of the wounds of abandonment from childhood. And it was so big. And I finally had to face that. But I don't think I had a safe thing through it. Aside from spiritual bypass books, psychic addiction, <laughs> you know, like just things that, that of course I had to go through in order to understand and create this work. I had to have that surface level approach in order to really figure out how to, how to dive in and, and dig in deep to get, you know, basically answering the question I just asked to both of you, how important is that safety? And, and I think it really is everything. I agree. I mean, I, you know, I think you saw when you said friends, family, therapist, I was just nodding because and I think particularly in your community, people who've maybe been through a similar experience can be super helpful. But I was also thinking, what about people that don't have that at all? And, you know, Lacey's given some examples of what people can do at that stage. But another thing that I see all too often as a doctor is that people will come and say, I've been through this, I feel terrible, I don't know how I'm going to carry on. And they'll get put onto antidepressants. As we've said, you know, there's a lot of call for this topic in, in our communities. And also we know that since the pandemic, there's been a lot of loss, like whether it's a breakdown of a relationship or, you know, actual death through health issues. And what was really interesting to me is that that very old book, The Body Keeps the Score, suddenly went into the bestseller list again. And so I think there was a quite a negative feeling around the phrase psychosomatic because it sounds like what you're saying is you are making up your pain because you've got issues mentally so i don't want to use that phrase but i want to talk about somatizing which is something that we can all do but if you literally feel like you have no safety net one of the ways that your body protects you is to somatize your emotions so instead of feeling i'm unsafe all the time because that would be terrible obviously you'll start to feel pain in different parts of your body, or you might become, because the gut and the brain are so connected, you might get digestive problems or bloating, or even like the onset of IBS or something that you wouldn't have got, but you've been sort of pushed over this threshold. So when I've worked with people going through that, I have helped them to understand that not letting go can result in physical and emotional pain, actual pain, especially if you don't feel safe. And that you don't have to remain in pain because it's not gonna change the outcome. So actually just letting yourself not physically be in pain, not you know, always be emotionally feeling unsafe. You know, Let's say now I'm talking about somebody who doesn't have a great friendship group or family that they can immediately fall back on. Understanding that that's kind of how it works and just doing tiny things that might make you feel safer, like having a salt bath or going for a walk in nature. I mean, obviously doing the safe DI. Adopting a familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you're lonely, if your grief has caused loneliness, then 
you know, the oxytocin that you will get from being in physical contact with your pet will reduce pain, will increase safety. Do you think if people are having those experiences where their lack of feeling of safety is transforming into physical pain to protect themselves, I feel like so many people are not aware of that. I mean, I guess it's hearing a conversation like this and then having a moment of like, whoa, is my physical pain medical or is there something emotional here? I mean, I would kind of argue that a lot of physical things relate to emotions in some way, shape or form, but how can they get raised awareness? How can they become aware of that, that that is maybe what's going on? And instead of finding like the next remedy or protocol or this or that, like maybe do that simultaneously, but also let's look at our sense of safety. The way it tends to manifest in very like common language is things like, oh, I really need a massage. You know, I'm just like, I've just got these aches and pains all the time, or my posture's really bad at the moment. Yeah, just, I guess, you know, just doing a body scan, just really noticing like what's going on in your body and seeing if potentially there is something. Like I said, that book became so super popular. I think people on some level, you know, must have had a sense of awareness of that. But for people that don't, yeah, this is exactly why we're doing this podcast. Absolutely. Now let's get into to the blind spot, because I think this directly correlates. And we've talked about this in, in other podcasts, Dr. Tara, like we've talked about it. And what if I'm not having memories when I'm doing DIs? You know, what if nothing's coming up? And this is a similar thing where they just can't get to the root of this loop and, and why the big partnership hasn't come through or the big job or the big whatever or if they find that they're in the same test over and over and over again. I do think that grief is a really important conversation around that. Is there a potential that they haven't fully gone through all the steps you talked about? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really interesting thought, because like you said, we have spoken about this before, but never in the context of grief. There's a lot more resources out there now, but I think Grief isn't really something that was talked about that has like a sort of protocol for how you get through it. And I still think a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's very different for different people. It's not a linear process, but no one really says what the process is or what you should do. And so I think absolutely that blind spots could be caused by the fact that you haven't gone to the depths of processing all of those stages. But the issue is that it is so scary for people to go to, to some of those depths that they don't want to and it's not even conscious you know that it's like the brain will like just shut that away in a cave that you can't look at and so in that way I think it's very similar to shadow work and possibly in a child because like you said if you have a shock of a grief that changes the trajectory of your life then it can reawaken old wounds. How does identity fit in with that too in that bargaining phase it's like their core wound gets activated and they're like oh but if I was enough then this person would do this and then you know mom would show up this way or you know they're not consciously thinking that but like you could tell their inner child is still on that loop of like but if I was just enough or if I was a better kid or whatever they're in that bargaining phase with their inner child. It's almost like their inner child has to grieve a need that wasn't met. So I think that comes back to a lot of, of the work on the pathway about self-worth. If the recurring thoughts, if the theme is very much about I'm not good enough, then it feels like the self-worth needs to be worked on. But that can be a very difficult thing to do in parallel with grief. 
particularly after relationship breakdowns, you know, obviously self-worth has had a knock. And however good the therapist is or the DIs are, it's going to take time to build that self-esteem back, back up. Hindsight can be very beneficial there. So if you have any previous patterns of having thought like that, then you could say, okay, the last time I had a breakup, I thought it was my fault. But then I realized three months later or six months later that we both participated in the breakdown of the relationship and we just weren't right for each other. And it's not because there was something wrong with me. I think this is a really big and important point because a lot of the grief that a lot of people in our community experience is from breakup, loss, friendship, you know, like even when they're outgrowing friendships and letting go, et cetera. And I'll see where they start to put their energy in their clothing, getting fit, uh, plastic surgery, <laughs> like yeah, design, no, right. just whatever, you yeah. know, it's totally part of the process. And then I think that eventually arriving at exactly what you just said, Dr. Tar, is actually going to be the moment that shifts everything that they're putting their energy into to try to, to try to receive. Yeah, you do see it a lot, a lot of external stuff going on. I remember one of my friends when she got divorced, she was definitely like going to the gym and doing a lot, lot of yoga and actually looked great and you know has always looked great but she actually came to my house and said to me Tara do you think anyone will ever find me attractive again and there were no words that I could say in that moment that was going to change her belief that it's even possible but I do try to remind her of it quite a lot now so that if she ever faces something like that again she sees how skewed her perspective was at that time because of the emotions that she was going through. I think this is, you know, such an interesting thing to talk about. And especially in your work, Dr. Tari, you're always the first one to be like, go back and read your journal. You have to revisit these things to have perspective. And I think that's really interesting for anybody listening to this podcast right now who's like, oh, I'm not in grief right now. But to really go through these bigger transitions in your life and and ask, did I fully process? That's a really, really great point. I love that. I think you said something in there too that's worth highlighting about when you are kind of clouded and overwhelmed with these really intense emotions, that your perception of yourself may be lower, your self esteem may be lower. And that doesn't mean that it is permanently lower, because you can recognize like, oh, I am just in a state that this might be lower, this isn't truly like, where I'm at or who I am, like, I'm going to get that esteem back again, I'm going to get that confidence back again. I don't know, I think of like, even the hormonal cycle. In certain times of your menstrual cycle, you're going to have lower confidence. And I'm just go, oh, it's just that time of the cycle. I'm okay. I don't Mm -hmm. need to like overthink this or try to fix it. I can just let it be what it is, let it process and then move on to the next phase. Yeah. And also one of my favorite questions, which is, is that actually a fact? So even if you are feeling really low on yourself, if you're sitting at home saying, I'm never going to meet anyone again, are you able to challenge your own thinking, which is metacognition and, and ask yourself, is that actually a fact that kept, well, you know, look for expanders. How mm-hmm. many people do you know that got divorced in their thirties or forties, but and never met anyone again? I mean, it's just not, it's not even that common. And obviously it's sort of looking at your peer group because of say, social contagion. So it's likely that, you know, what you're seeing with the closest people around you is, is likely what's going to happen to you. And I love that phrase. I've never heard that before, but social contagion. I love that. (laughs) That's amazing. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a fact that if you are in a, you know, in a social circle, if one person gets divorced, then you're statistically more likely to get divorced in the next year. Wow. 
Yeah, but it's not because like divorce is catching. It's because if no one in your social circle is divorced, then even if you're tolerating some issues in your relationship that you you know aren't ideal, you won't want to get divorced. But if somebody else does, then you think, oh well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's socially acceptable. Makes total sense. Yeah. There's so many people out there settling for unfulfilling relationships or people who are stuck in toxic jobs, living in places and spaces that don't inspire them, and especially people who feel like they'll never be able to afford the things and the life that they truly desire. How do I know that? Because it was me before I discovered that manifestation is actually a totally viable, scientifically proven method of creating the life you want. I'm Lacey, I'm the founder of To Be Magnetic, and if you're not familiar with us, we at TBM offer workshops that teach you how to manifest literally everything from love to money to career to beyond. Our courses are the most effective manifestation method on the market, and that's because of a secret that I discovered years ago about manifestation, which is you do not manifest from your thoughts. You manifest from your subconscious beliefs. So after decades of client research and input from leading doctors and therapists, we design courses that help you rewire your subconscious mind to align with what you want to manifest. And the best part of all for any skeptic out there, our work is completely scientifically proven to work. Just ask the tens of thousands of members inside our Pathway membership, which gives you unlimited access to all of our workshops, tools, and offerings that you'll use over the course of a year. This includes workshops on inner child, shadow, boundaries, love, money, the infamous ruts, and the horrible rock bottoms, and so much more. And right now we have our biggest sale of the year going on where you can lock in the lowest rates to join our Pathway membership. You can find the link in the show notes. And when you are in the Pathway membership, you will have full access to our 2023 Manifestation Challenge. Okay, now back to the episode. If someone can recognize that they're in one of these phases, if they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I think I'm in denial or I'm in bargaining or depression or anger, what would be one action step? Like I, I'm trying to, I know we can't put a protocol together, but I like my Capricorn brain is like, how do we put a little bit of a protocol together? So I was like, okay, one, definitely lean on those support systems. Find the places and spaces where you can create that neural pathway of safety. Where can you find the community? calming your nervous system. How can you support your nervous system, making sure you're getting adequate sleep, nourishing your body. And then the other thing was just carving out space to sit with what's coming up. This was something I saw, I forget what the show was, I'll have to link it in there with Jason Siegel. He's a therapist on Apple TV, but his, his they lost their mother in the show. And the daughter would set an alarm for like 10 minutes a day to cry about her mom because she it was overwhelming her because it was hitting her at all different times. And she was like, if I just set the alarm and this is my space to cry and feel it, then it's like more manageable. What are those options maybe that people have when they feel like, because one statement people say all the time with grief is like, it feels like it's never going to end. 
how do we make them feel or allow them to see that it can be this window where they could feel it and then it'll it'll almost like take a bit of pressure off? Well, psychologically speaking, I think that being aware of this model and the stages is really important because if you've never heard of that before, then you just, you know, you're just lost at sea kind of thing. So, so understanding that there are these stages and trying to work out where you are on that curve. And the first thing I would say is it is a process. It is better to go through it and fully heal. So even if you are in denial or bargaining, just to say to yourself, that's okay for now. And then the things that you said, like, you know, sleeping and nutrition, are, are super important, but also breathing techniques for calming your nervous system can be really helpful. And I think just to add, like really understanding those different phases that you talked about, Dr. Mm. Fry, I don't think a lot of people know that, that one has to experience all of those to fully heal. Just being aware of those and being able to recognize which phase you're in, why that awareness and understanding it's okay. And that you could go back and forth and et cetera. But the important thing, like you guys are saying, is to be aware and feel it. Yeah. And I think with the acceptance thing, we've obviously talked about just when somebody hasn't actually really got there, but they think, think they have. On a more positive side, you can get to a level of acceptance. You can get to a level of, you can say, okay, the person that's died is never coming back or the person that I've broken up with, we're never getting back together. But that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to feel depressed about it again or that you might never feel angry about it again. So maybe un also understanding, like I said, that it's just it's not a process that you go through once and then you're done. You can get to higher levels of acceptance. So, you, so basically you may get to a level of acceptance, which is good for where you are now. The only issue with that is if you have been looking at the stages, you've been journaling, and you think, I've now got to acceptance, this is great. You know, I can start to put it behind me, not to beat yourself up if you realize that there are higher levels of acceptance that you can get to. And that might mean that you have to go through some of those other phases again. Then one question I really wanna leave people on, because I know people in our community are grieving. I know that this has been such a requested thing. I see it in my DMs all the time. Do you all have examples, and I have, my friend that I used earlier, I think leaving people off with expansion, that once, you know, someone goes through the full grieving process that we could argue is a lifetime, but they've reached the level of acceptance. It has set them on the journey to a bigger life, a better life, being an experience in their life that carved out this path where really beautiful things opened up for them after. I think that's a really important piece to leave off on for anybody who's listening to this and experiencing grief right now of any part of the spectrum of grief. So I like to call these times in our life crucible moments, you know, when basically you're in the fire and you're completely melted down and you can reform and, you know, or another nice analogy I like is like the phoenix rising from the flames. So as awful as these losses are, there is some element of choice in whether you take them as an opportunity to be better, live better, continue the person's legacy. Yes, we have all been through a very hard time, but we're also fortunate that there's research now in, in psychiatry and psychology that would have just been thought of as science fiction or woo-woo, like even 20 years ago. I'm going to name three books, which you can you know link in the show notes. There's a book called After by a professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia, which looks at near-death experiences. And so the reports from people of what happens when 
they were physically dead, like they were in cardiac arrest or within you know, the number of minutes that we know that the brain starts to decay, but they came back to consciousness. He's got a colleague also at uh, University of Virginia who's written a book called Before, which is about past life memories. Then there's a professor in Vienna who's written a book called Threshold, which is about terminal lucidity, which is when somebody's had a stroke or they have had dementia for a long time, but they suddenly become completely conscious. You know, people who didn't even recognize their own children suddenly like know their names and act in a very motherly or fatherly way towards them. This usually happens very shortly before death. But it does show that consciousness is not as connected to our physical bodies as we believed to be before. And so I think the research in neuropsychology is going in a direction that can bring comfort to people about, you know, what the future holds in terms of being reconnected with loved ones. And the biggest thing that comes out of the near-death experiences is that they lose their fear of death and therefore they live life to the max. They love life. They do things they wouldn't have done before. So, you know, my wish as a neuroscientist would be that we can learn as much, you know, we can't all have a near-death experience. Although if you do a dark retreat, it is the closest experience to a near-death experience that you can induce in living people. Tell us about that. I've, I've heard of a few people doing that. And I think that's a really like people who are wanting to take consciousness to the next level like this to really live life to the fullest. Have you done yeah. one ever before, Dr. Tara? I haven't, but I have looked into silent retreats, but I'm, I'm much more interested in dark retreats. And there's actually one in Topanga. So Ooh. I think I might. Yeah. Whoa, keep me I know. posted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it, what you know about it, uh, like dark retreats in general. So basically, dark retreats are a form of sensory deprivation, and they are in double walled buildings. So it is absolutely pitch black. The really experienced meditators do it for up to 49 days, but for regular people can do a seven day course. And you can just start by doing it for like a weekend or something. So on a seven day dark retreat, the first two or three days, there's a lot of sleeping because you're in the dark and, and we are used to sleeping when we're in the dark. So we just sleep a lot. I'm going to give like a really like top level summary of this because I'm not an expert on it. But after two or three days, you start seeing lights like flashing lights, like shooting stars, like, you know, if you've got like a knock to the head in a cartoon, you kind of like see these lights around your head that starts happening. Then you start seeing animals. So either real animals or mythological animals like dragons. And then towards the end, you see people. And then the final thing is you see deities. As humans, we are afraid of the dark, and that's a survival mechanism. So it's a parallel to being afraid of death, which most humans are as well. Once you understand that in the dark, your consciousness can create light, you lose your fear of the dark, and therefore you also lose your fear of death. Wow. <laughs> sounds pretty amazing. Like, I'm like, yeah. sign me up. This sounds I great. I know. I know. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I keep thinking about Zach Bush had that analogy of like the birth canal. When you're going through the birth canal as a baby, you don't know you're about to like meet your mother and see her face for the first time and like drink real milk and see the world in color and well, eventually color, you know, and all <laughs> of those things. And it's almost like the change portal is that the grief portal is that the death portal is that everything that that could be so miraculous is just like a couple of inches away from us in this other realm. And it's like having that hope that like this grief portal 
can be something you befriend. It doesn't have to be this thing that is this heavy, dense, like even the word grief, I think of gray, like dark, heavy, clouded Mm. gray. It doesn't have to be that. It can be this really powerful, we're going to the depths of our souls. We're feeling these things that we can only feel in this human existence. So let us honor those transitions, honor those feelings, honor what's coming up for us, and then see this as this this portal, see this as this opportunity through the pain for something beautiful on the other side. And I actually have a few expanders around me who was experiencing a death and a new birth of something else very, very close together. So like a friend of a dear friend of mine lost her mother, but then wound up getting engaged to the absolute love of her life so closely related, or someone else lost a a parent, but then finally through a really difficult fertility journey found that she was pregnant and had her first child. And it's like, you can hold the duality of emotions of I'm so excited for this chapter. And I'm so sad that I can't have this loss of person come with me for this chapter. But both things are true at the same time, I can be excited for this, I can have this hope, and I can process this pain. Yeah, Spirit Babies talks about that a lot. The life death cycle tend to be hand in hand often. Interesting. Like with any with any cycle in nature, there's a life death cycle, you know, so it's really, really interesting. You know, it's so hard, but it's so important. One last thing I, I want to share here too, as I was talking with Janelle on this topic, she was talking about how if we don't metabolize our experience from the past, we cannot hold space for what is coming in the future. And I think that really relates to manifestation. So it's like, if you don't sit and, and allow those waves of emotion to process over you, you know, the letting go DI, the feel your feelings DI, like whatever you want to use, like allow those waves to just hit you and hit you it's like you're taking that crab shell with you. You're not allowing opportunities for that new crab shell to present. Don't see the letting go as a, I'm dismissing it, it's gone, it's never in my life again. You can still bring the things that you learned and what you loved from that chapter, but just going through that process and getting to that acceptance allows space for the new to come through. And I would even take that further to argue that any block somebody's experiencing their manifestation practice are just younger versions of that. That's what all we're doing at To Be Magnetic, literally. We're just trying to access those earlier memories of exactly this and, and go through the process of metabolizing them, you know, in order to manifest what we want. So powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. What a timely conversation too, because when a lot of us are in the winter weather, most of us, some of us <laughs> in some of the in the Northern hemisphere, I think that is that inward time, that inward time of reflection. Like what do I need to hold space for so I can prune it and let go of it on the other side? Agreed. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thanks, yeah. Hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as we did. And if you're starting to get a feel for this to be magnetic manifestation process, but aren't completely sold yet, let me point you to some of our free offerings. You can check out the expanded podcast episode called how to manifest anything you desire where Lacey, the founder and I break down exactly what this process is all about. 
You can check out The Motivation, which is our testimonial library with thousands of testimonials of people who have manifested wild things using this process. Or you could check out our free quiz to find out what manifestation phase you were in, the rut, the rock bottom, the next level, or the magic dark, and how you can navigate. Enjoy. We'll see you next week.